Good morning. Let's uh, pray as we be, begin this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and uh, sing praises and open your word. We pray that you'd bless this time. Pray that your spirit would be moving in this place and that you would uh, open our eyes and our ears. Show us this morning what you would have for us in your word. We just confess that we need you here in your spirit moving for any of this uh, to take hold or to work or to have changing effects in our lives. And so we just ask that you would move freely in this place and do that today. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. As we begin, I was I was thinking about this idea of a kind of loaded questions. When people come to you, you get a question that's like, uh, where's this? Where's this going? And I was thinking uh, of an example. It's, it's kind of a, a, a comical example. Uh, there, there's a commercial. Maybe you've seen it. I laugh every time I see it on TV. It's for Geico uh, car insurance commercial. And the guy is real seriously says, uh, you know, can switching to Geico save you 15 percent on your car insurance? And then the next thing he says is, is Abe Abraham Lincoln honest? And maybe you've seen this commercial, maybe you haven't. And then it goes to really grainy footage of Abraham Lincoln with his wife. And she's trying on a dress. And she says, does this dress make my backside look big? And it kind of goes over to him. And he's standing over there going, uh, uh, uh. And then right as the commercial ends, he goes, maybe just a little. And, and she storms off. And then that's, that's the end of it. And, and I was thinking about that this week. Uh, you know, if you'll notice in the bulletin, the, the title of the sermon today is Elders and Deacons. And we're going to talk about the difference between elders and deacons and what those positions look like. But part of the sermon and part of what we're going to be talking about is gender roles in the church. And, and that's why I say the loaded question, because sometimes that feels a little bit like that, depending on your background and where you came from in our culture today and a lot of other things. And so this morning, that's kind of where I'm going with that, just just starting that way. But we're going to spend most of our time this morning in First Timothy, chapter two the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three. And that's on page 643 in your pew Bible. If you want to follow along with me there. Also, there's an outline that we put each week that goes with the sermon that just helps you follow along. Normally, it's just the three kind of big questions I ask. And you've got lots of space in there to take notes or write whatever. There's actually a bunch of verses written in there today because I'm going to hit on a lot of different things. And so we put all those together so we can stay right there in first Timothy but then you can also have those with you if you want to make reference when I go to those other verses, just for your ease of getting around as, as we switch between those. And so this morning, that title of elders and deacons, and simply we're going to go at this like this first. How are the two offices, elder and deacon, different? So how are they different to who can serve in those positions? And then lastly, the third part, and that's really going to spend most of our time today, is why? Why is it like that? And so... How are they different? Who can serve? And, and then why? And so we're going to start just with elders and deacons and how they're different this morning. And so when we look at First Timothy, you know, First Timothy is a letter that Paul writes to Timothy, who's a young pastor in Ephesus, and he's giving him instruction and different things. And, and what he does in First Timothy 3 is he sets forth what to, the qualifications for an elder and then a deacon. And so I'm just going to read through that. If you start in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7 is about elders. And it says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, just let me stop right there for just a second. Overseer maybe says bishop in your Bible. Elder, all three of those are pretty much used interchangeably in the New Testament for what we would know as the office of elder in the church. Just so we're clear on that one. He says, Overseer, I'm using that interchangeably with elder. So then verse two, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, 
sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I'm going to stop there for just a second. Real briefly, those are just qualifications that Paul lays out for elder. And, and for the sake of what we're doing this morning, we could spend a lot of time on each one of those and really going through and building through all that for eldership. But what I really want us to do this morning is see the difference between elder and deacon. And so as, as I move now to the verses 8 to 13, he's going to lay out what a deacon looks like or the qualifications for a deacon. And I want you just to have this in mind. What's the difference between the two? Because there's one thing that kind of jumps out for really looking here. So verses 8 to 13 for deacon. Deacon likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife managing their children and their household well. For those who serve as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so when we look at those two lists side by side, we read them back and back to back like that. We see a lot of similarities in the two. But there's one thing that really jumps out when you start to look at this that's being different between the list that's given for elder and deacon and those qualifications. And remember, it's not really describing exactly what they do here in this passage. It's really just telling us the qualifications. And the thing that comes out is right there at the end of verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2, the very last thing in that list for elder is really the big where it starts to separate between the two. And what it says at the very end there. Uh, it's giving this list, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and then the last one, they're able to teach. That's the big difference between elder and deacon. An elder is called to teach. It's called to give sound doctrine. Actually, it, when we talk about elder, we see it here in 1 Timothy 3, those qualifications, and we also see it in Titus chapter 1. If you're following along on that outline, you'll see right under that I have Titus 1.9 just there for you. I'm going to read it. You don't have to turn there, but it's right there in the bulletin if you want to see it. Titus 1 9, also giving the list of what an elder looks like. Paul adds to it, explains it this way in verse 9. We must hold firm, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so what we're getting is a little fuller picture of what we get in 1 Timothy 3. And what it means able to teach. And so when we look at the office of elder, what Paul is saying is they have to be able to teach. And the primary job will be teaching and giving instruction and sound doctrine and rebuking those that contradict it. That is uh, taking great care, uh, guardians of doctrine and what scripture says and being able to explain what scripture says, but also being able to see when it's wrong. And when there's bad things that come in and they can stop and they can refute those things. And so we start to see that as a big part of what it is. Now, when you walk through scripture, when you walk through the New Testament, you start to put together this picture of elder and deacon. It's not all in just this passage, but as you look in different places, you get a fuller understanding of that. You know, when we talk about qualifications of an elder and able to teach, 
Sometimes I feel like this is where we maybe miss what elder is really called to be. You know, sometimes people go, well, maybe that guy would be a good elder. He's at church every week. He's a... it's, it's different than just that. It's different than just being faithful. It's having an ability to teach and explain God's word. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a preacher and stand up in front of lots of people. But it does mean that you can instruct in sound doctrine and refute errors where they come up. And it's not just that, though, either. It is teaching, but it's a few other things. Look at 1 Peter 5, which is also printed there for you, if you want to just follow along. 1 Peter 5, 1 to 3. So Peter now saying about eldership. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is coming to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And so we start to get a fuller picture of what it means to be an elder. It's able to teach and, and sound doctrine and refuting bad doctrines. It's giving oversight. It's shepherding coming alongside, walking with believers as we're walking out our faith with the series that we really just finished on, on walking out sanctification and growing closer to God. An elder is there to help you in that process and to walk with you. And so we start to get this fuller picture of what it means. An elder, in a lot of ways, is spiritual oversight, oversight of the church body and us assembled together and those that are members and all those things. We see that in Hebrew 13 as well, and we could add a few other verses. But just for the sake of this morning, I'm just going to leave that there. General sketch of what an elder is to do. So then the question becomes, how is a deacon different? Why elder and deacons? Why is there two things, uh, offices put forth for the church like that? Well, I want, to, I want you to go to Acts 6 for just a second, which again is printed there. You don't have to turn all over this morning. Uh, Acts 6, 1 to 4 gives us a real clear picture of the difference between elder and deacon. Right? In our passage here in 1 Timothy, we've got a clear picture of the qualifications, but now we're talking about what a deacon actually does versus what an elder does. And so listen to Acts 6. The church is growing like crazy in Jerusalem, and they're trying to keep up with all the people that are being added. And so they come on this problem, and we see this in Acts 6. And it says, now in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. And a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in daily distribution and the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so we get right there is the first elders, I mean, first deacons in the New Testament. They come and they decide to get some guys together to help take care of basic needs that are going on in the church. And the reason that the elders do that, the, the 12, we just read in Peter how he says, I'm an elder and I'm writing to encourage fellow elders. Well, this is Peter, one of the 12. He's one of the elders. And he says, the reason we're going to do this, we need things to be taken care of daily things so that what he says there at the end or in verse four, that we can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so what deacon very literally means and what it means in context here, what the word actually means is servant, someone who serves and comes alongside and helps and meet needs of the church, things that are arising in their day. It was, it was distribution of helping get things to the widows. Right? Which that would still be part of being a deacon 
today, but it would also include things in, in our more modern context that they didn't have to deal with, like uploading sermons each week to the website or uh, getting the, the Lord's table ready or getting the grounds. You know, God has blessed us with a beautiful building and all these grounds and all these things. And there's a lot of stuff to do to keep everything together. If I had to do all those things each week, which fortunately I don't, there's a lot of people that come alongside and help in a lot of those things. It would be hard to do the duties that God's called me to do as a teaching elder in the church. And so what you see there is the difference is we're going to have elders and deacons working side by side. Deacons will come along and take care of these practical needs and they'll serve in this way so that elders can be, as it says in verse, verse four, devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so that's really what we get is the big difference between the two. One is uh, service and one is oversight in the church spiritually and, and the like. And so we get that picture there. And I want to make sure that we see the difference between the two. And so that's the main difference between elder and deacon. So that takes me to the second question, who can serve in those capacities? And I want you to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to go back to verse 12. Look at verses 12 to 14. And what Paul says here. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so what we get here in, in verses 12, 13 and 14 is this picture of the office of elder that is teaching and oversight and shepherding and all these things that go with it. And Paul says, I don't permit a woman to do that. And so what we would say is in the church, in that office, the, the office of elder is to be taken, uh, is to be filled by men who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. And so that's, that's why I started this morning with the, the loaded question and thinking about that a little bit. Because when I say that, depending on where you come from and because of our culture today, there's some people that go, oh, wait a second, Really? You're really going to say that you really think that this is just a men only kind of thing. Well, I'm going to come back to that in the last point, the why. All right. But yes, just as we're answering the who can serve, I'm going to say men can serve as elders in the church. That's the answer. That's what the Bible says. But I'll come back to why in just a minute. What about deacons? What about deacons? There's a background in your life and where you came from, maybe at play here. And so I want to stop for just a second before we even think about this, just in, in what you maybe have seen and where you've grown up. A lot of churches, and I've seen this, I've grown up in different churches at different times, that have a head pastor and then they have deacons. And they don't have elders. Maybe you've been in a church like that. And really when you look at the government of a church like that, oftentimes what happens is the deacons are serving as elders. They're teaching, they're doing oversight, they're doing all these things that are spelled out as elders. And in a lot of those churches, deacons are men only. And I would say for good reason, because really they're doing the job of an elder. And so won't get into all the, the whys on that happens. I honestly don't know all the history of that, but some churches have done pastor and then deacons. I don't think you see that in scripture. Scripture is a plurality, multiple elders ruling together, not one person, and then deacons are service. And so I say that just because maybe you came up in something like that. And so your reaction is, well, deacons should be all male as well. But I want us to think about this in terms of this right here in, in what Paul's writing to Timothy and just what all of Scripture says. And so my answer would be, who can serve as deacons? It's men and women. 
And so I want to show you why I say that. I want us to be clear on why and how we get that. But first Timothy, again, looking back at first Timothy, chapter three, verse eight, we get to a transition from deacons from elders. Right. And he says deacons likewise must be dignified. And he sets that off with that kind of likewise there. Now I'm moving to deacons. Right. And then you get to verse 11. And I realize I just read this in the ESV. It's what our pew Bibles are. It says their wives likewise must be dignified. That is a translation that we've put into English. And I'll be honest, I don't know why, why it's like that. In Greek, what that literally says is women likewise must be dignified, not slandered, sober minded, faithful in all things. Now, there's there's a little bit of debate on that. Women, the word for women in Greek also can be used for wives. Uh, I'll give you an example. In the New Testament, 80% of the time it's women. Most of the time it's used as women. There is definitely not there in it, right? The, the word there is not there. So when we say their wives must be dignified, it doesn't say that. It says women must be dignified. Now the there and all, you get into debates and different things, but I'm just going to say based just on the Greek, based on a lot of scholars, I'm leaning on men that are much smarter than I am is that says women likewise must be. And, and I would also say when you have that, likewise, we're setting off a different thing, just like he did in verse eight, it would seem to suggest he's, he's switching to women now. Now, just that you go, well, I'm not sure about that. Right. Well, I, I would add to that Romans 16, one, which I printed there in the we printed there in the bulletin for you. But but Romans 16, one says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Remember Romans, Paul writing to the church in Rome. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria. That actually says deaconess. That is the word servant equals deaconess. So what he says is, I commend to you, Phoebe, a deaconess in the church at Centuria. And so when we start to take the fullness of that, I would say that women can serve as deacon in the church. And so there's some that would disagree with that. That's where we are as a church. That's the the reason we've made. And so that's the where we've come. And I'm just trying to give you the reasoning of, of how that is the case. And so what we would say on the answer of who can serve male eldership, female and male for deacon. So this is where I really want us to try to explain this as well as we can is why. Why has God set up his church this way? Why would it be like that? And I want to start real clearly, make sure we're absolutely clear to begin with as we think about this. Genesis 1:27 says that God made male, uh, made man in his own image, male and female. He created them. Men and women are both made in God's image and they are equal before him. This is not have anything to do with inequality. It's not that men are are better than women and women are less than. That's not what it is. That's not what the Bible teaches. And if you've heard that before, that's wrong and that's a lie. That's not true. Men and women are completely equal. They're equal in their worth and in their image before God. And so I want to make sure that we start with that. Then why would the question come? Maybe you have this question. Why would only men be allowed to serve in the role of elder if you're going to say, well, they're equal? Right? They are equal in worth. They're equal in God's image. And so I want you to go back again to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and then look at verse 13 because that's Paul's reason that he gives. That's what scripture gives for the reason. And verse 13 says this, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. Right? That's the reason that he gives. 
And that's what we often refer to, like uh, Paul will say in Ephesians 5, what we refer to as headship. Man is the head of the woman. That's the way Paul says it in Ephesians 5. And this is where we start to get in. I'd be honest, I think we really start to get in all kinds of misunderstanding of what Scripture teaches. And we kind of well up and we go, wait a second, man is head of the woman. And I think even that, a lot of times where we get frustrated with is a misunderstanding of what Scripture said. Uh, The idea of headship, I want you just to think about that for just a second. Um, Romans 5 talks about, we we often talk about Romans 5 as Adam being the head of, of all humanity. In a very real sense, we were all present when Adam sinned. Romans 5 talks about Adam sinned and then sin spread to all people. And so in a very real way, Adam was the head of humanity. He was there before. And when we talk about head, what we, what we literally mean is like headwaters, right? Where a stream starts, right? Oftentimes a stream starts from, from a pond or a lake and then it comes out or a river or they split. And it literally starts from that place and then it comes out of it. And so in a very real sense, Adam is the head of all of us, of all humanity, because we are his descendants. You understand that, that term. And so when Paul says man is the head of woman and we start to talk about this idea of headship and what it looks like, what we very literally mean is God took Eve out of Adam. He made Adam first and then he made Eve and he took part of Adam out to then craft and make Eve. And then he brings her before Adam. He brings her to be his mate. You see that in Genesis 2. Chris read that for us this morning. I'm going to reread just a couple of verses here to kind of set this so we're making sure we're, we're seeing this. But Genesis 2, starting in verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord has formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Right. And so you get this clear picture of God made Adam. And he sets him in the garden and he puts him to work doing different things. And then he says, and now I'm going to make a helper for him. And he takes it out of Adam. So he makes Adam first and then he takes it out. And so he is the head. Literally, she came out of the man. That's the picture. That's what the word means. And so we get that picture there. But then we also get where God says, I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Right. You see that up in, uh, let's see, I lost it. There it is in a. Verse 18 of Genesis 2, I will make a helper fit for him. And so when we say woman is a helpmate or a helper and we say man is the head of woman, that's where we get real. Are you serious? Really? Especially in our culture today, you say that and people go, okay, that's where you get crazy backwards church. What's wrong with you? What are you doing? Why would you say this? That kind of thing. And depending on where you are, where you grew up, background you grew up with, the culture you came up with. Some of you who are older have no problem culturally with that. And you go, yeah, that's great. Some of you have had really good Bible teaching your whole life and have no problem with it and go, great. And then some today may go, I really don't like that. 
And it's all across the board, but I want you to to see what the Bible teaches about it. And if you have problems and you're upset with what I say and what Scripture says, let's please talk about it. Let's continue to have those conversations about it. But let it be what Scripture says, not what you've maybe seen done poorly in the past. Let's let it be what God's Word says and not the other. So I want to think about just some of the misconceptions and really try to get what the Bible teaches on this You know, what we would say at uh, Church of the Apostles is we'd say we are complementarian in our view of male-female relationships. And what I mean by that, complement with an E, not with an I. Complement means to complete, to come together, to show more fully together than apart. And so what we'd say is, again, we're equal. Men and women are equal in God's sight. They were both made in his image, but God has made man and woman differently. That we're not the exact same. That there's different things about us. A good way to say it is there's overlapping but distinguishable traits and ways for us to be human. We're not identical. We have distinct gifts and and obligations and roles. And you even see this in Genesis 2. You see this in Genesis 2. Oftentimes people will say, well, those roles and those things are because of sin and because of the fall. And a lot of the problems we have with that today are because of sin and because of the fall. But the roles themselves are not. And the reason I say that is in, in Genesis 2, what we just read and what we just saw is God makes Adam and he makes him first. And then he gives him this job of naming all of creation, naming the animals and doing this thing. And he's doing a work. And so you see Adam as this namer. He's doing these things and he's going forth. And then he says, I'm going to make a woman to be a helpmate fit for him. And so he names all these things. And then he presents the woman and he says, this is your helpmate, your helper fit for you. And so what you get is this idea of namer versus helper kind of thing that goes on there. And again, that's where we go. I don't like that. What do you mean helper? I think, again, misunderstandings. When we say helper, we can think of helper like my son Jed is a helper. Right? Jed wants to help me when I'm building things and he comes and, and I'm going to do this and, I'm gonna, and he want, he's grabbing power tools and I can do this. And, and you go, eh, I don't think that's a good idea. Why don't you just bring me the hammer? Right. That kind of thing. And a lot of times we think of helper like that. Dad's little helper. Oh, that's good, buddy. Now get out of the way. That kind of thing. That's not what this means. In fact, a better example would be when I help my son Asher, when I am helping Asher with his math homework. Right. He's learning multiplication. Second grade math. He's just starting multiplication and he struggles with some of those things. And we sit down and and we go through it and I can help him. So the the very little bit of math I can help him with, luckily it's right now, it's going to run out real soon, but help him with multiplication. And I go, yeah, I know how to do this and I know that better. And so I'm helping him in something that I know that he doesn't. That is what God is doing with, with men and women. When it says helper, it's helper in that men are deficient in certain areas and we need help. Right. And so God comes and and I say deficient is maybe a bad way to say it, but we're just gifted differently and we see things differently. It's kind of a humorous example, but it's kind of like when your wife says, just pull over and ask for directions, right? (laughs) Men go, "Ah, I got it. I got it. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, and sometimes you need now there's whole lists of ways that God's gifted us differently in different things. But when we talk about helpmate, what we mean is women can come and do and help things and point out things and come alongside and that men would do poorly on their own. And, and when we come together and we work in that way, we complement each other and we show more clearly who God is and the way he's gifted us together. Men and women paint that picture better. And so when we think about that, 
and we think about that picture, I want us just to end here for just a second on why like that. So, so part of the reason why I would say the why is because God's gifted us differently and we're going to go together and, and, and it comes and we give a fuller picture together than we do separately. But I want us to go just even deeper than that. And so I'm going to ask you just for our last few minutes, if you would turn to Ephesians 5 with me. I didn't put that one. <clears throat> I didn't have room, so I didn't put that one in your outline. But Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22, and hopefully we're going to wrap up here with just the fullness of this picture of why God does it this way. Why did God make man first and then bring woman out of man and have different roles and all these things? You know, sometimes the question just comes, well, I think in the back of our mind, we think uh, man first and then God went, oh, no, I messed up. Now I need to make woman. Right. Like, oh, forgot something. Now I'll fix it. This was the plan always. God, who is all knowing and perfect in all ways, didn't make a mistake. He said, I'm going to make man and then I'm going to take woman out of man. And this is all for a reason. And Paul shows us very clearly in Ephesians five what the reason is. So if you look at Ephesians five verses twenty two and twenty three, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is in himself It's savior. I want you to think again just for a second about what the head word means. Bringing man out of woman. Man is the head of the wife like Christ is the head of the church, which means we as a church, people redeemed who are now uh, been saved by our savior. We come out of the head of Christ. That is from his sacrifice and what he's done for us. The fact that he came and he laid down his life and he died for us. That is the reason we are a church. We come out of Christ and what he's done. And so what Paul says is God made man and then he made woman and he brought her out in this way to point you to what Christ would do for his church. It's about glorifying and pointing us to Jesus. It's not a mistake. It's not a problem. It's not any of those things. God did this on purpose. Look at verses 24 to 28. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Do you see what we're getting at and what we're saying is that God has set it up this way and he's done this and he's asked men to lead out in certain areas and wives to submit to their husbands in order to show this picture of the way Christ has loved his church. And so men What that means is God has called you to lead your families, to love them, to sacrificially lead them, to teach them your children and your wife and to come alongside and to show them these things. And he has given you an awesome, awesome responsibility to point to Jesus and the way he loves the church. Do you see how huge that responsibility is? That is what we are called to do. That's why eldership is male, because God says, I set it up this way for you to teach and to do these things to point to this relationship. It's about Jesus and what it looks like. 
And so when you look here where it says wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord and and all all that picture that's there, uh, wives should submit in everything to their husbands and all that. And you kind of go, I'm not sure about that. Or maybe you draw back a little bit. He's calling you to submit and to encourage your spouse and, and your elders and the teachers and all these things. And the reason why is because you get to model submission that Christ has to the father. God gave you a huge responsibility to point to the way Jesus loves. It's huge, the picture that is there, that God would make all that and plan it that way and put those things together to point us so clearly to the way that he's loved us. We could say it like this when we talk about the why, to sum that up. Male and female in relationship reflects truths about Jesus that aren't reflected by male alone or woman alone. That when it comes together in this way, there's new things we see about God and the way that he loves us. And so as we end here and we think about this this morning, I want you just to think about this for just a second. We serve a savior who's the perfect model of both. The both submission and of leading uh, of of leading lovingly and caringly and and sacrificially in every single part of it. The one who's laid his life down for us, who's willing to die for us. The one who leaves his throne and comes down and lives a perfect life and dies so that we can be made perfect in his sight. And he does all of that for us. You know, on the night before when Jesus is going to the cross, if you know that story, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he falls down on his face and he says, Father, if there's another way, any other way. And then the next thing he says is not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but perfect submission, perfect submission in the garden, perfect lovingly leading in humility and every single part of it. And so when we think about these roles and what God has done, he's ordained that in our relationships that we would point back to him. And so what happens is we get frustrated and we get upset sometimes and men in our sinfulness abdicate their responsibility or they abuse it. Or they act like, oh, you got to listen to me because I'm the man. Or I'm, I'm the head. Or we start to make it into a selfish thing. I, 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 look at me. That kind of thing. And when we do that, we totally miss what God's called us to. Because he calls us to be a picture of Christ and loving your wife sacrificially and wonderfully. And then women, just the same. When we go, well, I don't need anyone to tell me. I am perfectly capable. I do not need to submit. I don't need to do any of those things. It's the same thing on both sides. We make it all about us. I, 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 and this, and and we all do that. And we all do that because we're sinful people and we fall into that. And so I want to end here and I want to say this as lovingly as I possibly can. It's not about you. And it's not about me. It is about glorifying Jesus. That's why it's set up that way. It's not about to step on your pride or to this or that. It's so we can point to Christ in everything we do. That's why. That's why Jesus set it up that way. And so many times we want to fight against that and we want to make other things. And so as we end today, my prayer is just this, that we would be so taken with Jesus and what he's done that we lovingly embrace the way he set things up. And we look to point it out in everything in the world we live in. That's our hope. And so let's, let's just pray and thank him for what he's done for us. And to, to make that our heart 
as we go forward. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you that you took such great care even in your creation of all of us in roles and in your church and the way you set those things up and you didn't you had a reason for all of it. We pray that we would embrace these things in our life and in all areas. I pray for each man here that he would lovingly seek to lead his family and to love his wife and his children as you have loved us. That you'd give us humility and wisdom and grace. I pray for each woman here that we would seek to love you in all things. That if you've, you've gifted us in relationships with husband and wives, that you would help us to reflect you in our life. We pray that in the government of our church and the way we do things, that we would lovingly submit to Christ always and to one another and to follow these patterns you've given us so that we can glorify you in all things. We thank you above anything else for what Jesus has done for us. And we pray that we would live it out in our lives and in all ways and in all times. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.